Uh, we'll be back in uh, chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes this morning. I thought we'd do a quick review. If you recall about three Sundays ago, back in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon observed that the wise man or woman is much better off being part of a community uh, than deliberately being alone. And, and we applied that to the church community, uh, where we have the, the blessing and the privilege of being able to love and serve and, and encourage and pray for one another. Uh, not just on Sunday, but, but throughout the week as well. And then the following Sunday, we looked at Paul's community at, at the end of Colossians, where he names a bunch of people instrumental in the, in the ministry of the early church. Uh, and, and that Sunday, we focused on one man in particular, uh, Epaphras, uh, who, who planted a bunch of churches in Asia Minor, uh, which is, is modern-day Turkey, and, and to accomplish many things uh, for the early church. But when Paul wrote about Epaphras in, in Colossians, despite all of his accomplishments, uh, Paul described Epaphras as a man of prayer. Remember that? Uh, we, we, we recall that Epaphras prayed uh, always uh, or fervently. Uh, he prayed personally. He prayed with a goal in mind uh, that you would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. And then last Sunday we went back to Ecclesiastes uh, beginning with chapter 5 where Solomon begins to talk about our approach to God in worship where Solomon said, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And then I suggested that you know, perhaps uh, we might consider putting up a beware, beware of God sign in, in the front of the church to remind us that God is the almighty sovereign Lord of the universe who is perfectly holy, perfectly just, and who alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. So today I'm going to continue with chapter 5 as Solomon writes about prayer and promises. So chapter 5, uh, verses 1-7. through seven. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you, that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that that is how You revealed Yourself to us, Lord. And You continue to reveal Yourself to us, Lord. Uh, be with me this morning as I uh, speak uh, Your Word, Lord. Let, it, uh, let us not leave here unchanged, Lord. And we thank You. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So beginning in, in verses 2 and 3, Solomon says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. So, so these two verses are about prayer. And amazingly, these, these two verses are very similar to what Jesus talks about uh, in prayer in Matthew 6. Uh, just uh, to remind you, here are his instructions. Uh, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So both Solomon and Jesus are saying the same things. Jesus mentions empty phrases. The NIV calls it babbling. Uh, the New King James Version says vain repetitions. And then Jesus refers to many words. Solomon talks about rash and hasty words, along with many words as well. And then both talk about our attitudes before God, our, our place or our position before God, as in God is God, God is in heaven, and, and you're not. Uh, and, and both make another contrast. Uh, Solomon contrasts proper prayer with that of fools. And Jesus contrasts his instructions for proper prayer with, you know, with the prideful hypocrites uh, who have to be seen and heard in their prayer. And also the pagans who try to manipulate their gods with their, their many words and their babbling. He says, don't be like them. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. So, and I want you to notice that Jesus in Matthew 6 and into the first part of Matthew 7 he addresses a bunch of topics here. He, he addresses giving, prayer, fasting, right priorities, anxiety, judging others, depending on God. And right in the middle of that, right in the center, Jesus talks about the heart. And so doesn't Solomon. When, when talking about prayer, he says, you know, he, he refers to your mouth, he refers to your words, but he also mentions the heart. He says, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Now, I've mentioned before that in Scripture, the heart often refers to the whole person, body and soul. The heart is the seat of our being. It's who we are. And Scripture is very clear that when it comes to our relationships, both with God and with others, it's our hearts that get in the way. Jeremiah says in chapter 17, uh, is speaking on behalf of the Lord. He says, Thus says the Lord, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's, that's a rhetorical question. God is asking who can know man's heart. Well, of course, the answer is God. God knows man's heart. Which is why we are cautioned by Solomon to be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart utter a hasty word before God. Let your words be few. In other words, just as Jesus said, don't try to impress God with your, your super long prayers and, and your eloquent words and, and your repetition. 
God sees through it all. He sees right into our hearts. Uh, John Bunyan in, in Pilgrim's Progress wrote, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. It's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. As Jesus taught, the answer to prayer depends on a heavenly Father who knows what is best for you. It's not on the amount of words. It's not on the eloquence of the words. Or it's not about how many times you repeat the words. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Another quote from Charles Spurgeon, he said, it's not the length of our prayers, but the strength of our prayers. That makes the difference. In verses 4 through 6, Solomon continues to speak about our communication with God, but this time in the form of vows or promises made to God. He says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow in the first place than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it, or the vow, was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Well, vows were pledges that worshipers would make to God as a part of offering or the offering or sacrifice process. And oftentimes the, the vow was made so that God might answer a specific request. Now we, we read about this in Deuteronomy 12, uh, starting with verses 10. It says, But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land your God has given you as an inheritance, and He will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for His name, which would eventually be Jerusalem in the temple, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. Now, I, I just want uh, to point out too that um, unlike certain sacrifices and tithes, Vows were not required. Vows were optional. And a vow worked like this. Numbers 21, verse 2. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord. This is what they said. If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They, the Israelites, completely destroyed them in their towns. So the place was called Hormah, uh, which means a place laid waste. So vows were made uh, in order to gain favor uh, with God, in, in order to uh, urge God to grant a specific request. The worshiper could offer God a sacrifice, money, or property uh, in exchange for meeting this request. Uh, one of the most well-known vows in the Bible is when the barren Hannah asked the Lord for a child, and she vowed that she would give, uh, she would give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And, and God gave her Samuel. And, and after Samuel was weaned, she gave Samuel 
uh, back to God as a Nazarite where he served in the tabernacle with Eli. So with this morning's passage, it seems uh, as though Solomon has observed abuse uh, in, in the temple of this vow-making process. So he gives warnings. He says, do not delay in paying your vow. He says, pay what you vow. It's better you, you shouldn't vow in the first place to make a vow and not pay it. He says, don't let your mouth or, or your casual vow-making uh, lead you into sin. Don't make a vow and then claim it was a mistake either. Uh, and, and he warns us it could make God angry. He could destroy the work of your hands. So, how does this apply to us? How does vows and making promises uh, to God apply to us? Well, I'm sure most of us have said something like this. God, if you will come through for me, then I will promise I will do this for you in return. Okay, I, I, I've said something to that effect. I'm sure you have. And it's understandable. We, we get desperate uh, with God. If God will take away the cancer, if God will get me this job, if God will provide me a spouse, or get my child out of this jam, or get me out of this jam, then I will walk more closely with God, or I will, I'll give more to the church, or I'll treat my wife better, and the list could go on. Uh, but the danger today is the same as it was back then. Uh, we, we either make the vow with no intention of keeping the vow in the first place, or we make the vow and then delay in keeping it, and then we just forget about it. Or we hope that God forgets about it. Uh, or we make the vow and then claim that the vow is a mistake. You know, I, I'm sorry, God, I, re I really didn't mean that vow. Solomon says that it angers God. It gets God angry so much so that God might destroy the work of your hands. The, the New Living Translation says He might wipe out everything you have achieved. That's, that's serious stuff. God will not be mocked. That, that's the point here. God will, God will not be treated casually and, and irreverently. So again, it all goes back to the heart. If we fear God, if we trust God, if we love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, uh, then, we, then we won't mock Him. We, we won't make empty promises. So we, we won't make God angry in that way. And, and so think about some of the kinds of vows that are made publicly in, in the church. Uh, probably the most common or the, 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 the most dramatic of vows that are made in the church are the marriage vows. You know, a man and a woman stand before the congregation and before God and, and say something like this, you know, I, you know, Tom, take you, Ellen, to be my wife or husband, to have, to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, According to God's holy law, in the presence of God, I make this vow. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to witness on the one hand, but it's also a serious thing. This is heavy-duty stuff. And it's scary stuff. 
Uh, just think about it. Think about the, the vow that you're making before God. And of, of course, to your spouse in front of all these witnesses. Another kind of vow made in the church is, is the child dedication. Uh, we dedicate ourselves in front of God and, and in front of the church to raise our children in, in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. And, and then the church makes a vow uh, along with the couple to help raise the child that way. Again, it's serious stuff. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that people shouldn't get married and shouldn't dedicate their children. That's not what I'm saying. The Bible doesn't say that easier, either, obviously. The point is that God takes these things seriously. And, and so should we. God listens to us. He's our Father when we make these vows. So we, we should take Him seriously. And we should take our, our words seriously. Solomon is saying it's better to stay single and unmarried than to get married and break your vows. That's what he's saying. When he says it's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay or follow through with it. And then Solomon concludes his thoughts regarding the temple, prayer, and vows with the observation that all of our offerings to the Lord, all of our prayers, all of our words, all of our vows and promises, all of that, is vanity. It's meaningless. It's empty. It's a vapor if we do not have a heart that fears God. In verse 7, Solomon writes, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Now you might have noticed that Solomon mentions dreams twice in, in this passage, in verse 3 and in verse 7. And commentators are all over the place about uh, what that means. But he seems to be saying that many dreams and many words that, that fall into the category of empty things, right? Things with no purpose, no value, or, or no meaning. They, they're, they're just many dreams, many words. They're just, you know, no value. So then Solomon brings it all back. He brings it home with the conclusion, fear God. And we'll talk more about fear of the Lord uh, when we close out the book uh, of Ecclesiastes. But fear of the Lord is an important theme in Ecclesiastes. And, and of course, it's one of the most important and common themes in the entire Old Testament. But fear of the Lord isn't just an Old Testament issue, is it? I mean, Matthew, in Matthew 10.28, Jesus warns us to fear God. Why? Because, oh, I don't know, He's the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's why. That's what Jesus said about God. And, and Jesus would know. Because the only way we can appropriately approach God is through Jesus. The temple system that Solomon's referring to, gave specific instructions and regulations for approaching God due to our separation from God because of our sin. But that system was temporary. And it could never fully and completely atone for man's sin. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross ended the need for animal sacrifices for all 
time. Jesus' death was the perfect and the final sacrifice. We know this. And when Jesus died, the, the curtain of the temple, you know, the, the one with the seraphim that I mentioned last week, um, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, we read about that in, in Matthew 27. And, and the way into God's presence was open again. Uh, we were talking about that in, in, um, in, in Sunday school this morning, about how uh, we, we neither worship God in Jerusalem or where the Samaritans worship. We worship Him in spirit and in truth now. And uh, I, I was reminded of um, when I was in college, uh, I was in a really bad space and, and I needed to talk to God. So I went to the, the Catholic church that was right there because I, I, I felt like I needed to go in the church to talk to God. So I walk up to the doors and the doors were, they were locked. And I was shocked. Well, this is a church. This is where God is. Why are the doors locked? And, and I was like, now how am I supposed to talk to God? I didn't get at the time that I, I could have talked to God right where I was. I, I could have gone to my car. I could have sat under a tree, whatever. I, I could have, because Jesus took care of all that. There's no temple. You know, you don't need to go to church to talk to God. I mean, it's a great place to go to talk to God, but you don't have to. Because Jesus was the perfect and final sacrifice. Paul writes in Ephesians that through Jesus we have access in one spirit to, through the Father. Through Jesus we have access to the Father. Complete access. So in closing with, with chapter 5 and, and these, these uh, first seven verses, Solomon talks about guarding your steps when you go to the house of God, drawing near to listen, and remember, we, we talked about how listening and obeying are often synonymous in, in God's Word. So drawing near to listen and obey is better uh, than sacrifices. He, he talks about approaching God through prayer. He cautions us about making rash vows uh, before a God who will not be mocked. And he says, a God is the one you must fear. But all of that, all of our own attempts at a relationship with God are vanity. They're meaningless. They're a vapor when they're apart from Christ. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ and a changed heart of repentance that, that opens the doors, so to speak, uh, to a whole new life as, as a child of God. Amen? Jesus brings us back to God. He fully cleanses us and allows us to come boldly before God's throne. We can do this individually through private prayer and worship, or we can do this corporately. Uh, Jesus changed how we approach God. In Christ, we can boldly approach the throne of grace to pray anytime, anywhere, and God hears us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So now we can, we can stand in awe of our great God through the grace of Jesus Christ and, and offer our whole lives and all of our words as pleasing sacrifices to Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God.